Hey, Jim, I'm Dave Marcus from The Federalist. When are you guys going to start covering Cuomo? When are you guys going to start covering Cuomo? No, I'm asking you a serious question. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. He killed 10,000 people and he's accused of sexual assault. And you guys want to talk about Ted Cruz. If you don't mind, so what? No, no. When are you going to start covering Cuomo? I'm going to finish this interview. I'm going to do this way. Maybe just because he's rude, I'll be rude. Let me just finish this interview and then I'll talk to you. No. Right. Oh, no. I mean, no. Well, then, excuse me. Yeah, what are you talking about? You're not tall enough. When are you going to start covering it, Jim? No. When's hey, CNN going to deal with Cuomo? Well, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not. You're not. Okay, so you disagree. No, we don't agree to disagree. You're not covering Cuomo. I'm sorry, but... What do you think about it? What do you think about it? What do you have to say about Cuomo? I'm here to do a job right now. Oh, I'm oh, oh. To to you. you have plenty to say about Trump. Nothing to say about Cuomo? I'm here to do a job. What do you have to say about Cuomo? Nothing? Nothing, right? You have nothing to say about Andrew Cuomo. The emperor of New York, and you have nothing to say. Okay, then we see it. Then we see it. At least you won't on your friends. Then we see it. Yeah, that's good. I'm just doing my job says Jim Acosta at CPAC while getting grilled by conservative reporters. I'm just doing my job. Sounding like a Nazi concentration camp guard. When asked tough questions about his reporting and CNN's reporting. Welcome to another episode of The National Pulse. I'm Raheem Kassam, editor-in-chief of thenationalpulse.com. Somebody who they are trying desperately to unperson. Yes, I am, in case you didn't know, on yet another Twitter suspension. And I thank all of you who helped me yesterday reach out to Twitter. They don't tend to respond. It's quite rare to get somebody from Twitter to reply to you at all. Remember when it used to be used to say, "Oh, it's very hard to get somebody on the phone over there, wherever, whatever company it was that you were using, and they had an automated system or email set up." It's actually now nigh impossible to get a real person to even reply to you on email from any of these big tech companies. Remember, these are a billion, tens of billion dollar companies with massive, massive workforces, huge, huge research and development departments, massive numbers of engineers, armies of PR consultants and communications consultants and marketers and interns, and they cannot find the time to respond to one of their, I would say I'm probably in the top 1% of, of, of people with, you know, in terms of follower numbers on Twitter, and I am blue check mark verifying that's their decision by the way that's not my i don't get to verify my account they did that and yet they can't find the time to respond so i decided yesterday well let's see what happens when 20 reporters and a whole army of uh, citizen reporters sends messages to the twitter accounts asking for comment and finally they responded finally they told me why I wasn't allowed to tweet for the next six days. And ladies and gentlemen, I mean, maybe this is unsurprising at this point in time, but uh, the rationale as they gave it to me was that I tweeted, and it was actually 
probably about 20% of one particular tweet. But I tweeted, or part of my tweet was that the election was stolen. And that might cause violence. So they had to remove my account for six days. Not remove the tweet immediately. Oh, no, 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 no. They took nine days to get to the part where they wanted to speak to the tweet itself, which is now no longer available, but it took them nine days. That's an awful lot of violence that could have been caused in nine days, Twitter. Are you going to hold yourselves to account? No, it took them nine days to get to it. And here's what I really think happened. I think, and I'm not going to rabbit on that much about this. I just want you to know it because obviously some of you are still on Twitter. And so a lot of you ask me why. And I get the comments and I hear what you're saying. Why are you still on Twitter? Look, I run a news site. I'm not a consumer. I understand for most people on the right, yeah, they probably shouldn't be on Twitter. But I run a news website and I'm trying to get that news to reach as many people as possible. I'm on everything. And I really lament being on it. So I get a lot of complaints about it. I don't want to hear the complaints. I want to hear the thank yous because you think I want to be on Twitter? Do you think I want to be on Facebook? Do you think that's either fun for me or do I like giving these people my data? Am I making a, a bargain on behalf of myself? No, I'm doing it so that more people get the news. I'm not trying to lecture you. I'm just trying to explain for the people who are inevitably going to hear me talking about Twitter in the opening of this show and who are itchily getting to their phones, ready to write me a comment or something, just know I, I'm not there for fun and I'm not there to, to you know, there's no Faustian bargain between uh, Twitter and I financially or anything like that. No, this is because we do the news over here and we want the news as news reporters. We want the news to reach as many people as possible. Anyway, I'm not going to bang on any more about this except to say that uh, the, 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 the behavior here I wrote them a very long, very, very polite letter, by the way, in response. I haven't got a reply to that. But uh, I think the behavior here is just something I, I don't think I'll ever understand. To treat people in that, that, that kind of way, I don't think I'll ever truly understand that. I'll never truly understand that because, let's face it, official sources may have called the election for Joe Biden, but official sources also debunked the Russia collusion narrative, which is another election steal story, and they continue to allow that one to be on there. And yes, yes, we know Twitter's very left-wing and they're open about it, and Jack Dorsey is, and all of that, so why should I expect any different? Really, I'm not saying that I expect any different at this point. What I'm saying is, at some point, there is a, there is a tipping point here. And I think we're kind of getting to that moment now because there is a lot of scrutiny from all around the world. I mean, you look at what's happened in Australia, you look what's taking on, taking place in the European Union. You heard what Jerome Riviere, the member of the European Parliament, had to say the other day about big tech and its monopoly powers. He said on this show that he will, especially if Marine Le Pen wins in the election in, in, in two years, or in one year, actually, that they will take on big tech. The polls are doing it as well. So I think there is a tipping point coming. What, what I'd like to see and what I'm, what I'm happy to, to help in any way I can is, is a, a coming together of all of these different nations, all of these different groups to, to, to work voluntarily with each other, to, to use the heft, the weight of all of them against the big tech companies because no one is going to be able to do it by themselves. 
And I think whether or not it's in a year and a half, when there's new Congress, or whether it's in four years, you know, these are pretty short periods of time in, in, in the grand scheme of things. I think we're going to start learning a lot more about the, the, the monopoly power and how we can actually take it on, combat it effectively. Because if you put this in front of a court... If you had this case in front of a court, let's say I can bring a case about fraud because of how they behave between one side and the other. Let's say uh, if I can bring a case about how they're interfering with my business practices because they have built themselves as a public platform. We have invested significant amounts in that. We have both abided contractually. I have uh, borne witness to the fact that a, an election steal narrative was allowed to be freely peddled four years ago. So there's precedent to it. And as a reasonable actor, I can be said to... Or I can say in a court of law, hey, you know, every indication to me over the last four years has suggested that they tolerate this stuff. So why should I believe that I can't do business over their platform, my business being the news, while I talk about a stolen election? I think if you get that in front of a fair court, you win day in and day out, all day, every day. But the problem is right now you can't really get to that position because it's so cost prohibitive for an individual to do that. Yes, me as well. I know a lot of you look at my get-ups on the war room and think, oh, he's a flash git. I hope that means something to the American audience. I am, I have to confess, a total, total addict to thrift stores. So you can get some very nice stuff at thrift stores, uh, which is very good, well-branded. I'm also a big fan of clothes lasting very long. So it's not like I'm buying a new wardrobe every uh, every couple of weeks. I also love the criti- the criticisms and not even the criticisms, compliments as well that I get on the wardrobe. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't uh, don't particularly fancy the plaid. I get it. I like it. I like it because I I never really messed around with it before, and I got one for Christmas, and now I'm just like, this is a new, this is something new, this is a new look for me. I'm, I'm wearing a lot of L.L. Bean lately. <laughs> it's a sentence I never thought I would say. I never thought I would say. Right, so that's all I'm going to talk about right now in terms of Twitter and social media. Just know that I am off for the next six days on 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 Twitter. You can find me on Gab, on Parler, um, on the National Pulse private chat, our Discord chat channel, it's the www.thenationalpulse.com forward slash support. If you want to join in on that, uh, Instagram still sort of still around on Facebook. Uh, somebody else has to moderate my account on on Facebook because uh, they don't let me do it personally, but they will let a member of my staff do it. I mean, it's bizarre. It's totally bizarre that I'm in this situation. I have... I, and I don't mean to sound like a victim or anything. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a crybaby about this stuff. I just find it utterly, utterly bizarre that somebody, as I think of myself, as quite reasonable, quite reasonable, able to sit down with somebody and and, and have a beer or have a meal and have a conversation of plenty of left wing friends, plenty of left wing reporter friends, people who are you know who currently work at left wing news outlets, the Guardian and others like that. Financial times. You know, we all interact together. Sometimes we're in the same rooms. We have to be. We cover the same things. We go to the same places. We get on the same flights sometimes. And yet there are these people across the country, and and for a lot of people across the world, deciding what 
somebody can say or what they can't say or what they meant or what they didn't mean, what the intonation was, what the what the implication was. It's really sad. It's really sad. And it's really sad. Final thought on this. It's really sad because I suspect what has happened here, really. I started the sentence, but I didn't finish it. I suspect what has happened was that the algorithm kicked in. It wasn't that somebody at Twitter saw this tweet of mine and decided to, hey, I'm going to shut this thing down. But I think the algorithm kicked in from too many reports that hard leftists or you know Chinese Wu Mao army types were, were mass reporting me. And now these human beings at Twitter have to defend the actions of the algorithm. How weird is that? Talk about serfdom. Talk about every, you know, bizarre dystopian ending to a Black Mirror episode or a Philip K. Dick novel or whatever, right? I mean, it's it's so strange. These people, human beings, ostensibly with a conscience, ostensibly with the with the ability to generate abstractions in their mind are serving the purposes and making the excuses on behalf of an algorithm. An algorithm that, yes, was coded by other human beings who may have nefarious purposes, but nevertheless, humanity in this circumstance is now in service to a machine. In service to a machine. Not working alongside one, not utilizing it, not leveraging its power. That's how humanity grew and got better and built houses and and, and created more security for ourselves and better living conditions and all of the things that, that technology has brought into our lives. From the very basic pulley systems, right? But now we are serving the machines. I I I I know this sounds like kind of you know, 3 a.m. Cheech and Chong thoughts, but it's so bizarre to me. It really, really is. Well, Jim Acosta was getting his bum handed to him at CPAC earlier today. Before I bring in my uh, guest, it'll be the first guest I've had on for a second time uh, on the podcast. Before I bring on the next guest, I want to play you part of uh, Congressman Matt Gates's speech from CPAC. I just happened to pick this one up this afternoon and thought it was uh, thought it was particularly good. Have a little listen to some of the speeches or some of the content that they've been hearing on stage at CPAC. Technology companies ultimately get the power and the government all at once. There are no checks and balances when they can control, alt, delete anyone for any reason. Now, in China, this means that the government assigns people a social credit score, where you live, where your children go to school, professional opportunities, access to government programs. It all depends on what government and tech think of you. Just look at what's happening in the Biden administration today, a revolving door with Twitter, Facebook, Google, Amazon executives rolling into the government to create a unified system. And maybe we would feel better if government was getting big tech's brightest. Sadly, we're not. Listen to how things have changed. Prior to social media in Silicon Valley, the most significant investor and customer was the Department of Defense. Our best minds worked on bombs and radar and stealth, often in partnership with DARPA. Jeff Bezos' grandfather was actually the number four person at DARPA. But as commerce moved online, the incentives for focused digital talent moved too. Today, 
America's sharpest minds are focused on well, memes, not mu oh, munitions, likes, not lasers, ratios, not robotics, and hyperviral, not hypersonic. So are these social networks really making us stronger, safer, or do they just further addict us to our vices? Instagram for vanity, Twitter for wrath, Uber Eats for gluttony, and Tinder for lust. We need a renewed patriotic nationalism in America, in technology. That means let's get our best team together and go whip China. And in politics, it means let's get our best team together and go whip the establishment. <laughs> Speaking of people who ought to lose primaries, <laughs> if Liz Cheney were on this stage today, she'd get booed off of it. That is true. She would get booed off it. But it's, uh, I mean, Gates and I, you know, we agree on a, on a lot. We disagree on, on some things, especially as it relates more to, to social conservatism. I, I think I'm more of a more of a social conservative and, and certainly more a little bit more uh, authoritarian in my social conservatism as, as, than Matt Gates is. But um, he does get it right about the uh, about the sins, the apps, all these apps for sins. Uh, that there are now, and I think that it's just a great speech. As you go back and watch the whole thing, if you can, if you haven't seen it already, and there have been some other great ones today. I really enjoyed watching James O'Keefe parade his army of whistleblowers in person. All the people who have been placed uh, at CNN and at Facebook and Google and other places, and he and he trotted them all out in person. I thought that was quite uh, quite impressive as well. Now, the next uh, part of this uh, show today, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to bring you some more information from across the pond, not least because uh, I think what's something that's happening there, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm British, so I, I would be interested in this, but I think also something's really going to interest this audience because it will kind of tell you more about all the different ways the establishment does things in, in all the critical countries as far as they're concerned. Now, I think I, I should caveat that by saying that I, I think a, a lot of you know that we, we consider that Brexit and the Trump phenomenons are, are, are inextricably linked. You, you cannot separate the two things. Um, I, I go so far as to say that without Brexit, there may have been no Trump presidency because of the the the, the nature of our our, our countries uh, sharing the common language understanding that we have the pretty similar actually pretty similar political systems at least in the in the way that they are first past the post systems rely on you know old common law ideas um, fairness in, in in the fairness in the judiciary it's actually quite hard to say fairness in <laughs> fairness in the judiciary um and I think a lot of people overlook that sometimes, and and it, you know, in the same way that a Brit overlooks uh, a lot of things that happen in in places that are like Australia or or whatever, and, and we really shouldn't. Uh, but I think a lot of the American audience kind of under 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 informs itself about what's going on in in countries that are so very similar, and therefore lessons can be learned both ways. Goodness knows, I've I've learned enough over in the United States that could apply to the United Kingdom. So over here, over here, you saw 
you know, the establishment stitch up, not just at this last election, but you saw the establishment stitch up in general. You you, you often see it, uh, the way it works. We, we make a point of covering that on a day-to-day basis on the National Pulse, right? It's, it's these people who are sent on foreign trips to... Uh, with the Chinese Communist Party paying for them and who works for who and, you know, what Jake Sullivan's been saying the last four years. And, of course, the hard drive from hell was one of the most critical examples of of, of all of that and all of the corruption and the nepotism and, and, and power, right? It's about power. It's always about power as far as as far as far the, the left and, and, and evil is concerned. Because evil is predominantly concerned with power. Um and so I want to bring in uh, my friend Ben Harris Quinney again into the conversation. You you all actually left him some very nice reviews the last time he was on, uh, which actually has encouraged me to bring him bring him back on again. Let's dial him in, bringing him in via Skype here. So I hope this thing works, and I hope he picks up. That'll be uh, hello. Oh, there he is, Ben Harris Quinney. Do we have you? Hello, Rahim. Oh, hello. Thank you for joining us, Ben. Um, ben, I was just doing... Uh, it turned out to be a 20-minute long introduction. Um, I didn't talk... Yes, I, I was just watching Peep Show, actually. So it was. Well, yeah. You'll have to explain to the audience what that means, because you're not watching a Peep Show, but you're watching the, 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 the television sitcom Peep Show from the United Kingdom. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm doing, although you didn't know that, but, but you are right. Yeah, I did. I, I guessed. I took... I, I did, you know, I did roll the dice on you on that one. Well... I am a maverick, Raheem, so yeah. who knows what I'm doing. Yeah. You're a maverick as far as the British establishment press is concerned, not the maverick, of course, from Top Gun, uh, because they would have stipulated that uh, if that I was don't know you. If they would. I don't know if they would. Um, it, it, you know, a maverick, a maverick from Top Gun was a maverick. They didn't specify, so I think it's it's left open to interpretation. Right, so you no, Well, I interpreted it as the maverick. Yeah, so Top you're Gun. claiming that you are now being dubbed the maverick from the uh, 1980s movie Top Gun in the British press in 2021? Not only the British press, but um, Britain's paper of record, who previously accused me of being a Russian spy. So um, (laughs) they're obviously 100% accurate in in what they put out, and I I, I think it's got to be taken uh, as read. Right. So for the audience, um, this is what it's like to to have a conversation with with Ben Harris-Quinney on a day-to-day basis. Um, there's a lot of what you might term noise, um, which I can I can only uh, describe in, in 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 a polite way as as eccentricity. Ben, I think you'll I think you'll probably take that as a compliment, but I think that's also why the establishment treats you the way it does. You are not a cookie cutter Westminster type uh, like me, or or like I came to learn the very very hard way absolutely loathing the cocktail party circuit um the people that are involved in it they're not cocktail parties raheem they're parties where you drink two pound bottles of wine at best right and 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 that would be uh, a a three dollar bottle of wine there's nothing wrong by the way there's nothing wrong with two buck chuck i don't know if you ever had it uh ben but but trader joe's here in in the u.s has a has a three dollar bottle of wine called two buck chuck it's sort of false advertising because it's it's two ninety nine, um, and therefore that's three dollars. But I, th- I think at one point oh, it was two dollars, and it was fine. Look, Raheem, um, you can you can buy a a three or four euro bottle of, of wine in France, and it's it's very acceptable. Yeah, but I'm uh, not but in the France. The wine in Westminster is not very acceptable. We're talking Jacob's Creek. <laughs> I don't know what the equivalent of that is in the U.S. I think there um, is Jacob's Creek here. 
Yeah, so so Jacob's Creek. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but they uh, they that whole scene is very similar to the Washington D.C. scene. Uh, it's it's you know we 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 can tell the story Ben of having lunch was it was it lunch with with a former uh, Republican Party digital activist and I think it was yeah. at Morton's as well which this audience is becoming more familiar with is my is my haunt yes your office yeah my office. Um, don't say that the tax man will be after me for for, for rent. Um, my 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 preferred haunt, Ben. Uh, and what did what did uh, what did this? I don't want to name him in case he doesn't want to be named. But what what did this gentleman say to us back then? American gentleman that worked for the Republican Party at the time while we were in London. He said basically that he wanted to do a swap. Um, he wanted to go over to London and uh, you know spend a year there working in politics. And if we could find him a position there. Uh, maybe he could find us a position in in DC to do to, to do a sort of year exchange, if you like. And uh, his rationale for saying that was that oh, the the DC circuit is so toxic, full of shit munchers. I've got yeah, to get out. You can't swear on this podcast, London. Ben. Well, I just did. Yeah, but you can't. Well, all right, but I just did. But nonetheless, um, he he. Now I have to do post production. Yeah, uh, well. I have to bleep you. I, I, I told you, and that is that is the work of a maverick. You can't control me. <laughs> yeah, but not um, not necessarily I, the I maverick. Will, I will do a close flyby of the tower. Yeah, you know, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, well, no, but you just crashed into the tower. That's the problem. You're well, more than welcome. Way. You're more than welcome to do a close flyby of the tower, but you crashed into the tower. Um, so, so, so this gentleman he says to us, you know, Washington DC is toxic. I want to go to Westminster. It'll be a nice change. You know, the grass is clearly greener there. And I think I still remember the look on your face. Yes, well, um, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time in both Washington and, and uh, London and Westminster, and uh, London is far worse, far worse. Because at least in Washington, you know, I'm not, I'm not denying the swamp nature of Washington, but at least in Washington there are some genuine conservatives. And the thing is, when you talk about me being a Westminster figure, I'm only in the sense of politics. We, we, I was when I came out and uh, criticised uh, the, the the government this week. I was smeared in the Guardian newspaper, which is a very left-wing newspaper in in, in the UK, as supporting uh, the wing of the Conservative Party who uh, like to have a wife in the country uh, but be grooming a 19-year-old. Uh, assistant in London. Now, it was actually female assistant, which of course is inaccurate for other reasons. But uh, what what I found most insulting about that, and there are many things insulting about it, was the suggestion that I lived and worked in London because that's not <laughs> something I would ever do. It's like uh, it's like telling somebody from uh, from from you know uh, the real America uh, yeah. that, that they it's live like in, in, in New from, York from or Washington DC. Soho in New York. Yeah, yeah. So let's get to that. You're the chairman of the oldest conservative think tank in the United Kingdom. It it really sort of punches above its weight. It's it recently been been you know given awards for 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 its work. Uh, you you pump out a lot of policy papers and host events, and uh, you also criticise and, and, and critique uh, the government of the day, no matter which political party that that government is 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 constituted of. Uh, and you did so again this last week. Specifically, 
you were talking about Carrie Simmons, and Carrie Simmons, for the audience that doesn't know, is the fiancé of the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Now, again, for those who are uninitiated into British politics, Boris Johnson is of the Conservative Party, but the Conservative Party uh, is is basically a centre-left, if not if not even further than centre-left now, uh, political party, the Labour Party being uh, to the left, let's... Yeah, probably still to the left of the Democrat Party. So there's no real, real opposition in terms of, in terms of uh, political philosophy of, of the major political parties in the United Kingdom right now. No, well, there's a young man called Nigel Farage, and I don't know if he'll ever achieve anything. But, uh, <laughs> there have been some early promising signs from him. Yeah, quite. Um, but again, not a major party, uh, may, may, you know, major political figure, Nigel Farage, but not, not a major political party, uh, uh, the Reform Party, I think it's now called. So you're really stuck with, with, with you know, between a left place and a lefter place in, 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 in the United Kingdom. And, and, and one of the problems that, that em- emerging from that, uh, from, from the way that that's been set up, as, as you always like to deem it, Ben, a stitch up uh, in terms of our politics, is that you have this... Uh, Prime Minister that is ostensibly or has always run on this claim to being a conservative, but actually has has, has governed. Pro- pro- I mean, would you say I would say probably to either the same or to the left of, of Tony Blair? Unquestionably to the left of Tony Blair. Um, you've got to remember that since the Conservative Party had been in power uh, in 2010, came to power in 2010, this was the party that forced same-sex marriage through Parliament, despite the Parliamentary Conservative Party not wanting it. The leadership of the Conservative Party uh, pushed that through. This is the Conservative Party that is now uh, coming close to having tripled the national debt. This is a Conservative Party who uh, yesterday declared that they were planning to, or there were reports that they were planning to raise taxes, and the leader of the Labour Party came out and said, we're not sure that you should be raising taxes so much. So it, it, it is, it's better to say that the establishment is in power in Britain. The, 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 what your American listeners would recognise as the globalist establishment. Um, they don't really believe in anything relating to, to national identity or, or patriotism. They happen to have been born in Britain and they all went to the same schools and the same universities. I mean, the last two out of three of the last Prime Minister of the United Kingdom not only went to the same school together, not only went to the same university together, but were the same the members of the same 12-man dining club, uh, the <laughs> Bullingdon Club at Oxford University. Um, and of those 12 people, I think six or seven of them have gone on to govern the United Kingdom, which is a country of 65 million people. Um, so... Uh, the, the, the problem in Britain is very well described by the notion that the problem with general elections or the problem with elections is whoever you vote for, politicians get in. And it's, it's certainly true in Britain that whoever you vote for, the establishment gets in. Now, the, the, the particular problem with Boris Johnson, the, the current prime minister, is that what he did was he borrowed the success of Nigel Farage who was the driving force behind Brexit, attached his name to Brexit, despite the fact that he famously wrote two articles uh, for The Telegraph, one in support this of is, Brexit. This is, this is on the eve of, of the campaign. 
on the eve of the campaign. So he didn't know which way. He's not someone who believes in Brexit. He's someone that believed that Brexit was a route to power for him. And so he wrapped himself in Brexit and wrapped himself with Brexit in the notion that he was going to return the Conservative Party to the days of Margaret Thatcher. Now, you and I, because we know Boris Johnson and we know the people around Boris Johnson, were warning all along that this guy is not going to do that. Um, he's, he's misleading the public. He's lying to the public in, in that approach. And it was the same, unfortunately, with the Trump administration, who actually thought, who actually believe, seemed to believe uh, the, the reports that Boris Johnson was going to take the Conservative Party back to the days of Margaret Thatcher. And, of course, what happened was, as soon as Trump was out of office, before Trump was in office, Boris Johnson had said some, some very, very nasty things about Donald Trump. And as soon as Donald Trump left office, and I think actually even in, in, in the few months before he left office, Boris Johnson had started to talk about how bad the things that Donald Trump were doing were and, and, and how good and great uh, Joe Biden is. So this just... is a guy who goes the way of the wind in terms of his public-facing persona. Um, but in terms of his, his private values and views, I'm not sure that he particularly has any. But what I am sure of is that his girlfriend has some very strong views, and those views on most issues are on the hard left. So tell us about his girlfriend... Um, tell us about the relationship, why it's important. A lot of Americans follow, uh, at least in passing, what's happened, what's sa- the sad, sad thing that's happened, um, the castration of, of, of Prince Harry at the hands of Meghan Markle. Um, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't go so far as to claim that it's been that far for, for Boris Johnson, because as you describe, he's always sort of been a, a slimy creature of the neoliberal left uh, at heart. Uh, but it, but but this has even impacted him. So so you know what is what is it about Carrie Simmons and and is it not the case, Ben, uh, that you're just a, a, a screaming misogynist? Yeah, well, I'll, uh, I'll 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 come to me being a screaming misogynist in a second. But the real take him take him as you like. The real issue with this is actually not what Carrie Simmons' political views are. The real issue of this is, is one of constitutional law. Now, there's a magazine being published tomorrow in the United Kingdom, which we understand that Carrie Simmons worked very closely with uh, in order to um, get this article written and published. And the headline of the article is Carrie's Coup. Um, Carrie's Coup. Coup. C-O-U-P. That's right. Coup d'etat. Yeah. And it seems to be that until I started to ask questions about this this week and made a formal intervention from the Bay Group calling for an investigation into the extent to which Carrie Simmons is involved in government. It seemed to be that Carrie Simmons was very keen to promote the idea that she was very closely involved in government and she was making a lot of the key government decisions. Now, the problem with that is Carrie Simmons is Boris Johnson's girlfriend. Um, The girlfriend of Boris Johnson does not have any constitutional power to have any involvement in government. Um, She's not not an appointed advisor? That's right. She's not an appointed advisor. She hasn't been elected by anyone. She hasn't even been appointed by the government. So there's no legal framework around her. The, The reports are that she has been instrumental in firing a lot of the Brexiteers 
in government in number 10 and replacing them with her close friends. Mm. And uh, there's, there's, there's some other procedural issues so, that, that one, one of her best friends was given a government advisory uh, position at, at the Home Office and... Uh, the, 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 being, the, the Home Office being sort of the, the interior, the department that looks after border control and, right. and, and things like that in the United Kingdom, the policing, justice issues, that sort of Justice Department type role as well. Ben, let me let me let me speed this up a little bit as well because I think I think some of the some of the detail we'll get into it because I think we want to do more more episodes uh, than than just the one on this subject matter. There are lots of stories to tell. Uh, keen keen listeners to my content will know that I've mentioned Carrie Simmons before. I have uh, I've actually had personal um, uh, interactions with Carrie Simmons. Many of them. I was just going through my phone. I still have her on my uh, on my WhatsApp. Maybe we should dial her into the conversation. See if she wants to uh, to take an interview with us at the, at the same time. But ben, well, me... well, I'll just very briefly on that point. Yeah. Um, we're now being told that we can't criticise Carrie Simmons because to do so is sexist and also. Right. She can't respond. Right, so uh, you're a misogynist. No you're being branded a misogynist. Respond. You're being branded Anytime, a misogynist. Let the message go out. Any time that Carrie Simmons wants to debate this issue... Uh, on your show, Raheem, or indeed on any other, I'm most happy to. Well, and even if she doesn't want to debate it, even if she wants me to conduct an interview with her to, to, to allow her side to be told, I'm happy to do so. And, and I, I won't let anybody have just a just a complete, you know, easy ride here, which brings me to my question for you, which is uh, the American audience will say, well, hold on a minute. You know, the, the, the first lady of the United States uh, is, is has a lot of impact on the president of the United States. It is accepted. They accept the way this works. They accept the way relationships work. They accept the reality of being partners with somebody. They, people do it in their day-to-day lives. They consult each other on their jobs. They may even make job-related decisions based on that. So what is the difference between what Carrie Simmons is doing and what uh, Jill Biden is doing right now? Well, in the first instance, um, if you take the, the Constitution as not just the founding document, but the, the, the body of all U.S. law, um, there are clear constitutional provisions uh, for the role of First Lady mm. and demarcations uh, for the role of First Lady. So the, the, the First Lady is accountable uh, on that basis, and there are also very clear guidelines as to what the First Lady can do and what the First Lady can't do. For example, it would be entirely inappropriate for the First Lady to be in the Situation Room uh, making uh, you know, decisions that affect... Uh, the the entire country and potentially the entire world. Now, of course, in the case of Carrie Simmons, she's not not Boris Johnson's wife. She's Boris Johnson's girlfriend. We don't have the first lady system in the UK. And so even if she was Boris Johnson's wife, that doesn't give her the right to run the country. Mm. I'll add to Um, that also, Ben, that, 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 you know, if you want to, you know, the first lady of the United States has a communications staff that is subject to uh, the Freedom of Information Act. Right. Is expected There's to a legal be transparent. Right. And this, you're saying, doesn't apply or, or there isn't this thing in place uh, for Boris Johnson's girlfriend. So so she can have she can have an influence. She can have an unchecked influence. We'll get on to what that influence looks like in just a moment. But why couldn't, for instance, Boris Johnson just appoint her as an advisor? Wouldn't, this get, wouldn't that get well, rid of the whole thing? I, I think that if, if they want to continue with a situation where she is making the interventions in government that she is reported to be making, and let's be clear, this is not just pillow talk. This is not just, oh, well, she said to Boris Johnson, maybe he should consider this. There are very clear and consistent reports of her having a direct role in government, um, a direct role in uh, 
changing the complete makeup of the staff of, of Downing Street to fit her needs um, rather than the needs of the country. Do you think this is and where... So if, if, if Boris Johnson uh, was to appoint her as an advisor, she would then have a legal framework about, uh, around her and she would have some legitimacy in taking the actions that she is reported to be taken. I think there's a real issue of conflict of interest of why you should be you know, appointing your, your girlfriend to a government advisory position. But as I say, I think if they want to carry on with what they're doing, that's what needs to happen. And at least if they did that as well, then we could start to investigate uh, what Carrie Simmons has been up to. And I think if you look at her track record, there is a wealth of things that need to be investigated. Yeah, yeah. So, so you've been this kind of this war of words going on uh, in the British press at the moment. You know, your side of this argument is is making the case as you've made it on this show that you know you, her role is unconstitutional. There has to be some transparency. There has, I mean, there's to be a lot of transparency there. There should even be an investigation into this at, at this point in time. But the response, as far as I have seen anyway, and as far as you have shown me. Uh, appears to not address the point of the, the the question being raised, but just sort of hurls this smear of misogyny at you. We're being told that you are a, a fusty old dinosaur that's running the oldest conservative think tank. You're not moving with the times. You don't understand modern relationships. And really, Ben, what they're saying is you just hate women. Well, I'm only, um, I think I'm only four years older than Carrie Simmons. Um, so I've become a dinosaur pretty pretty quickly. I guess you know she'll be joining me in the in the prehistoric world fairly soon. Um, but you, well, the point that we were making is a, is a is a question of law. It's a question of um, who should be allowed to govern the United Kingdom, um, and th- th- that is a formal question that needs to be responded to um, in a, in a formal way. It, it, even if um, the, the, myself or the Bow Group were sexist. Um, it does not change the legal question. You cannot go into a courtroom and be accused of a crime and your response is, uh, well, the person accusing me is a sexist. It's immaterial. As to the particular well, point... Well, I mean, is it I'm, anymore? Well, well I, I think we're perhaps having, heading into dark days where someone could commit a crime and then get off by just saying that uh, it's sexism or, or, or racism or transphobia or, or, or whatever you like and um, but we're not thankfully we're not there yet we still do live in a society of laws and so um it's very important uh, for, for the sanctity of the united kingdom which is a parent of democracy in the world uh, to to be a paragon of democracy and accountability but as to the point of whether i'm a sexist it's been said that um i'm afraid of strong women well um i got into politics really because of my grandmother and her relationship with Margaret Thatcher, which I won't go into in detail, but very much the, uh, the, the, the pillars of my political thought were built by my grandmother and Margaret Thatcher. Um, I adored Margaret Thatcher and was not remotely afraid of her. And I think there you have an example of a strong woman who didn't get where she was by uh, sleeping with someone or getting into a relationship with someone and then unaccountably attempting to run the country. What Margaret Thatcher did was she uh, came from a, a, a very poor working-class background. She worked her way up to Oxford University. She achieved um, stellar academic results at Oxford University. She went on to become a chemist, 
uh, where she invented a very popular form of, or was involved in the invention of a very popular form of British ice cream. She then retrained well, the barrister. Well, you know, I, I tell, I, I've caught myself telling the story multiple times this week that, about Margaret Thatcher inventing soft-serve ice cream, and it's a story that uh, I don't think many people know. It's not, it's not a story for, the, for today, Ben, but it's something, no. that's, it's something that's very, very important to me. Well, well, absolutely, and we all we we're all grateful to to Margaret Thatcher for that. But actually, the reason why it doesn't get mentioned is because Margaret Thatcher achieved so much else. Right. Um, and then after she was a barrister, she went on uh, in in the nineteen fifties uh, to be selected as a Conservative candidate, which was a very difficult thing to do then as a woman. And she rose to the ranks of Prime Minister of the United Kingdom in nineteen seventy nine right. as a woman. Now, this was an extraordinary achievement, which no one ever thought possible. But she didn't make it about being a woman. As Margaret Thatcher said, if I had spent my time worrying about feminism, I never would have become prime minister. And the important thing is that what she then went on to do as prime minister was not about being a woman, as, you know, it's accredited to the the, the greatest thing about Barack Obama was that he was America's first black president. The greatest thing about Margaret Thatcher was not that she was Britain's first female prime minister, it's that she was Britain's greatest peacetime prime minister. Now, that to me is a strong woman, and that to me is a woman I respect, and that to me um, is, is, is a woman that we should all hold up as an example. And the idea that um, I would discredit Margaret Thatcher on the basis that she was a woman or be afraid or, or intimidated by her, and let me tell you, there's a lot more to be intimidated there than there is with Carrie Simmons. But I didn't feel intimidated by Margaret Thatcher. I believed in Margaret Thatcher. I revere Margaret Thatcher, and Margaret, Margaret Thatcher is an example to me. And the, the, the problem. But with again, your critics, your critics will just say, your critics will just say, and, and you know, I, I'm only playing devil's advocate here for, for you know, the, the, the sake of the interviewer. But the critics would say to you, Ben, you know, Margaret Thatcher wasn't really a woman. In a, in a, in a, she didn't act like a woman. She didn't have the same kind of aspirations as a woman. She didn't, you know, uh, pay a lot of attention to the same things as as women do in in the round. You know, in general, in the stereotype, maybe. And so maybe your problem is still with women, uh, because because Margaret Thatcher was not somebody who who they portrayed at least as being particularly feminine. Well, that's that's nonsense. And and actually, on a technical point. Not only was Margaret Thatcher a woman, but Margaret Thatcher was a lady. <laughs> right. And I know that, and you know that. But I'm saying that your your critics would allege that actually it's the it's the, the you know the nature of Carrie Simmons' uh, behaviour is more you know feminist in its in its in its outlook. And, and well, I, again, I, I it, Margaret Thatcher certainly was not a feminist. Correct. Because she saw feminism as cultural Marxism. As sure. to whether she was feminine, I think. And it is purely a personal opinion that Margaret Thatcher was far more ladylike and far no, more feminine. We all know that. Um, than, uh, look, than, than I know that. I know that. You know that. Up today most as, of this audience knows that. Feminism. What I'm trying, to, what I'm trying to get at here, is how do you deal with a charge? It's in the, it's in the national newspapers, as you say. It's, it's, it's in the papers of record. You yourself, your, 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 you know, who, you, what you stand for is being attacked as misogynistic. So where do you go from here when they won't even have the debate with you about her constitutional role? They're just name calling, hurling epithets, and, and what I'm trying to say is, will continue to do so. You can make all the Margaret Thatcher analogies you want, but they'll just turn around and say, well, you know, Margaret Thatcher wasn't really a woman. 
Carrie Simmons, a woman, she's on the front page of Tatler magazine. She's, you know, a glammy and popular and she's going to get along really well with Jill Biden. Who are you? And, and what are you going to do now, Ben, to, to ram this message home that actually what we've got in the United Kingdom right now is one of the one of the most peculiar constitutional uh, situations uh, the, the country's seen in, in, in decades. Well, nothing like this has ever happened before. There's never, ever been. Even if you go back into medieval history, um, there's never been a situation where um, this sort of constitutional impropriety um, has gone on at, at, at the top of, of um, the government of the, of the United Kingdom. And, and to your point about how are we going to respond to the claims of sexism, well, we're going to respond very strongly, and we'll be doing that in due course. But I think you've got to remember that we've made a very substantial point. They have come back with saying, without foundation, they've just called us names in response. Right. The woke playbook right. of you know, any criticism is racism yeah. or sexism or homophobia, it's transphobia. And, and, of course, they can say that. If, if they want to discredit the United Kingdom's government to the point that their response to serious legal questions is, is, is to call people names, then, of course, they can do that. It's tragic for the country, but they can do that. But the problem is they are doing it before the public because we still just about have a free press. And this has been reported in the press. And I think if you look at what the press reaction has been and what the public reaction has been um, to this, and, and a poll came out today that, that, that suggested that 70% of people in the UK that think that Carrie Simmons is having a serious role in government. So 70% think When the she public is. see this stuff, it's, it, it, it's just like all of the campaigns we've had recently, Brexit and all the rest of it. They make all these, these, these sort of baseless claims and put them out there, but the public aren't that stupid. The, the British public have always been smarter than the government of the United Kingdom, and they've stopped the government of the United Kingdom doing some terrible things in the past, and they will stop this happening as well. This will not be tolerated. We cannot have a situation where the girlfriend of the Prime Minister is announcing that she has staged a coup uh, on the United Kingdom. It, it absolutely just, just... will not be tolerated. And if they think it will, and if they think they can get away with airbrushing photos and putting it on glossy magazines and trying to dress this up as something that's good or something that's feminist, then they're in for an absolute political disaster. My guest is Ben Harris Quinney, he's the chairman of the Bow Group. You can find all the Bow Group's work at bowgroup.org. Org. They're on all the social media platforms. I suggest you follow them. Uh, ben writes often in the Express newspaper and in other places as well. I mentioned on the War Room show this morning, Ben, uh, we actually had a, a, a Telegraph columnist, one of the non-woke Telegraph columnists uh, on the show this morning uh, who had been... Oh, they're a dying breed. Yeah, no, I know. Who had been lauded by the uh, the conservative woman uh, uh, website, which is also another another uh, actual uh, uh, conservative website in the United Kingdom. One of a one of a very very small number. Um, there's also another uh, one that I want to give a shout out to as well, Ben. You write there often. It's I'm blanking on the name now. It's run by a bunch of students. It's it's actually very good. Bornbrook magazine. Bornbrook magazine. Yeah, I think B O U R N B R O O K. Bornbrook magazine. And um, and and I want to just conclude this this conversation, Ben, today by asking you about um, uh, you know about not necessarily Carrie Simmons as a as a as a person, but but 
uh, you talk a little bit about her as a person, I will as well, but tell us about the things that she actually believes and the things that she's done in, in, in that position. Because you mentioned, you know, some nepotism, some of her friends being appointed to positions. That's fine. You know, we, we, we all loathe nepotism. We can all call it out when we see it. In terms of a more sort of policy directions, Boris Johnson obviously has a lot of kind of wokeness about him already. But do you suspect that some of his anti-Trump sentiments, some of the more robust things that he has been saying in the press about Donald Trump and therefore about all the people that voted or supported President Trump, do you suppose that he's being egged on in any way by Carrie Simmons? And where else is this bleeding into the government's policy agenda? I, I, I do think that, that 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 is very credible. Um, I, I think the biggest issue... That, that has come up for this is, is Carrie Simmons describes herself as an environmentalist campaigner. Mm. And her views on the environment don't appear to be much different to Greta Thunberg. Boris announced um, at the height of the coronavirus crisis, and let's remember, this is the worst health crisis to happen in Britain uh, for almost a century. It is also probably the worst recession in our history. And Boris Johnson thought that that would be a good time to come out and say that by 2030, he's going to make Britain carbon neutral, which means that we're not going to have any more non-electric cars. We're not going to have any more uh, factories that, 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 that pollute, which probably means we're not going to have any more factories full stop. Um, we're not going to have any more uh, power stations um, that, uh, that are deemed to be environmentally unfriendly, which probably means that the cost of electricity is absolutely going to skyrocket. And, and you know, we've seen that, that how popular these sorts of things are with the public after Macron's uh, invi- attempt to enact these sorts of measures and right. the, the, the forceful response the French re- the people came back with. with. Les and, and so this is political suicide for Boris. So the question is, why is he doing it? Mm. And I believe from everything I've seen, the answer to that question is Carrie Simmons. There's also issues like um, the, the, the trans um, debate and, and trans issues in schools. It was reported that Dominic Cummings, one of the advisors that Carrie Simmons was reported to have removed and, and what, who some see as uh, one of the major architects of, of the Brexit campaign, um, wanted to really push back strongly on the LGBT lobby and the, the, the sort of madness we are descending into with five-year-old children having to be taught um, about transgenderism and, and, of course, not being taught but being very confused about transgenderism would be the result. And, and the reports are that Carrie Simmons uh, stopped Cummings and Boris from doing that and, 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 and are now uh, Boris is now moving in a much more um, uh, LGBT lobby-friendly direction that's going to make it easy for you to change your gender every five minutes on a whim um, and is also going to mean that um, it's very difficult to criticize the the trans ideology in the public discourse without potentially being um, literally arrested uh, because uh, we saw something recently by the police that uh, that announced that that uh, if someone is offended uh, that is an offense so we've got all this sort of very dangerous anti-free speech stuff happening around it as well what about what about on 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 the um covid19 response because a lot of people watch from this side of the atlantic and and and, and gasp uh, i mean they're absolutely aghast 
at at the the, the lockdowns, the the intensity of the operation there in the United Kingdom. And you mentioned earlier that the that the British public are smarter and that you know than their politicians are, but they do appear to be going along with a lot of this stuff, or at least being sympathetic uh, to a lot of government policy and on COVID. Well, uh, we were the first think tank to call for an urgent response to coronavirus in January 2020. I think actually, Raheem, and you won't want to admit this, we, we were before you when, when I know that the work that you did with um, Steve Bannon on, on the, the War Room podcast warned of the, the imminent arrival of coronavirus. Um, and you were very early to the punch on that as well. But I think I beat you to that punch. Not sure about that. We'll have to check it. Nonetheless. Okay. Yeah. I'll let you make the claim. I'll, I'll, I'll ridicule you immensely if, if the claim is proved untrue. But I'll check that, it out. That, 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 well, that's the, look, that's the, the question is, who's Maverick, who's Goose? And exactly, I'm saying, exactly. Yeah, maybe I'm Maverick, maybe you're Goose. Yeah, Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But, but, maybe you'll end up um, getting Goosed. We, we, we were, the, were the first to raise concerns that if you look at countries that acted early, like Japan, like New Zealand, to shut their border, which at the time was being called racist, um, right. and, you know, that there are other islands like the United Kingdom. They managed to lock down early, shut the border early, and stop the virus getting in, and that's what needed to happen. The problem with having lockdown measures that go on for over a year, which this has, uh, and, and is likely to continue on well beyond that, is you reach a point where the, the, the lockdown measures start to kill more people than the coronavirus. It is estimated that... 40,000 people will die because they haven't been diagnosed with cancer or they weren't given proper cancer treatment. Mm. It is going to be the worst recession, I think, by what all is said and done in British history, and that's going to kill people indirectly, but it's going to kill people. We know severe recessions kill people. 2008 uh, led indirectly to the deaths of a great many people. Mm. So I think whilst 120,000 people in Britain have died of coronavirus, I think it's very plausible that more than that are going to die uh, of of the lockdown measures, um, so it, it's it's but, but, the, the trouble is is government in Britain has become very short termist, so they're unaf- they're, they're they're afraid to take the decisions that need to be taken that get good medium to long term results, mm. and I think the government were just afraid of um, the, the the pressure that they would be under um, if they didn't have this year plus long lockdown. Um, uh, you know, they must know, they must know the amount of deaths that these measures are going to cause. I just think that they know that those deaths are going to come or only become apparent in five or ten years' time. So they're not worried about dealing with that now. But I think what, what needs to happen is, in the debate in Britain and the debate throughout the world, is we need data on how many people are going to be killed by the lockdown, as well as how many people are going to die of coronavirus and make the decision on that basis. And the problem is we've only got the information about how many people are dying or might die of coronavirus. We haven't got the information about how many people are going to die of the lockdown. And, and the, the Bow Group is doing work on that, believe me, but with, there are so many fronts we need to cover. Um, and as you said, you, you kindly said that we punch above our weight, but it's important to note that by comparison to U.S. organizations like the Heritage Foundation, U.K. organizations or European think tanks are a fraction of the size. And, 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 you know, we don't have the resources to do the government's job for it. And that's what the Bow If you look at what the Bow Group said over the last 10 years, we've been pretty much right on everything. Um, 
but uh, which and, and the gov- it was the government's job to be right on issues of governance in the UK, and they've been wrong on almost everything over the last ten years. But the problem is they've got huge resources, and we haven't. So so we're going to be looking more into the detail of this and and, and making the public aware of the amount of deaths that come from the lockdown measures. Um, but of course, that's a huge amount of work, and uh, we're, we're working on all of the all other fronts at the same time. So, I, but, but I think once the British public are aware of that, then public opinion will change. Ben, I noticed that the Bow Group published a paper on the, uh, on the coronavirus and, and the, the, the study in, on January the 31st uh, of last year. It's an incredibly prescient study. I encourage people to go and, and, and check that out. Um, the war and pandemic, of course, launched on January the 20th. I'm not saying that, uh, that you, uh, you were late to the party there, but uh, that's what I've just uh, found out in that, uh, in that time. But of course, you will argue that papers don't just come together overnight and that you had been working on it for a while before. Just saying that we beat you to a final product uh, before you got your product out. But, no, we, we, we made statements on it before. Well, before we could all make but statements. You, I mean, we've all made statements, Ben. I mean, I'm making statements all the time. What does that mean? Well, I'm making statements now. <laughs> did, you, did you do a paper on it? Uh, we did, uh, we did um, probably in excess of 600 broadcasts. Right. Yeah. So, no. It's quite <laughs> All right, Ben, we're going to have to leave it there. I think uh, I think right. that's, it, that's enough for now. Uh, but I do want to revisit this topic again very soon. We're going to bring other people into the conversation as well who can testify to exactly what's going on. It's a major constitutional problem uh, that is uh, that is happening in the United Kingdom right now. And I think the American audience really does still have that you know, affinity for uh, the United Kingdom. Almost every person I meet... Uh, I was even talking to one of Ted Cruz's staffers the other day. who tells me he's just an, he's, he's an obsessive Anglophile, and I feel that way about so many uh, so many Americans I meet. Maybe they're just telling me that to be nice, uh, but I take them on their word on it. Um, ben, just uh, where can the uh, just tell the audience where they can find more about uh, more about the Bow Group and yourself? Uh, you can you can go to our website um, at bowgroup.org. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Bow Group. Um, you can follow me personally at, at B underscore HQ if you want a bit more of the crazy eccentricity that, that Raheem mentioned. Um, but I that's just, a, I just want to find to, to your point that this, we, we cannot let this happen to our country. It, it won't happen to our country. We're, we're, we've got to stand up to, to this sort of thing. And I know you've got some similar problems in the U.S. that, um, that you've been standing up to and exposing as well. But th- these are sacrosanct freedoms, sacrosanct ideas that mean that the West has been able to be as prosperous and free as it has, and we must defend them with everything we've got. Ben Harris Quinney, I'll uh, I'll speak to you uh, after uh, after I conclude the show. <laughs> the debate give, goes on. Yeah, give you some give, give, give you some tips exactly. All right, Ben Man Harris Quinney there uh, joining us from the United Kingdom. Uh, thank you, Skype, for making that lovely noise at the end of the call. Look, I think, uh, and you'll tell me, ladies and gentlemen, you're, you're the listeners, you're the consumers, you're the, uh, you're the, um, the audience, and, and I care what you think. You'll tell me in the comments section, which you can find on Podbean. Uh, you can find that via the National Pulse website, thenationalpulse.com forward slash podcast. You'll tell me whether or not you find these special episodes that we bring you with more information from around the world, different things that are taking place. If you find them interesting, if you find them informative, if you find that they're going to lend to how you defend your country in the future or in in, in the right now, in the present. I, um, I like doing them. 
I know uh, it makes the national pulse more the international pulse once a week, um, but uh, I think it's important and it's important to me. Uh, and I know a lot of you care what's important to me as well. And I'm, I'm grateful for that and for letting for you guys letting me have a, have some more editorial freedom on this as well. That's why that's why we did the podcast format. It's it, it allows me to kind of do different lengths of shows and different focuses of shows and you know there's no edi- editorial above me that's that's making that decision on my behalf or saying hey you know it's probably not a good thing to necessarily talk about but yeah like i say i want to factor in your opinions on this so please leave us a comment i know ben's uh, ben's a very um interesting guy he's interesting to listen to he's got a lot of stories a lot of insight um and 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 you know we want to bring more especially given what's happening right now given what's happening all around the world given the resurgence of some of the stories about hunter biden there was a big piece on the daily mail website so there's going to be more international stuff coming out more china stuff especially we've got a big couple of stories up on the national pulse website right now about the china stuff which are going to bring natalie winters in once she's back from frolicking around in orlando um but uh there's that there's going to be more ukraine i'm sure there's Take my word for it, there's going to be some Cyprus, if that means anything uh, to any of you out there, especially as it relates to the Bidens. Um, There's going to be a lot to cover. This Syria, look at what's happened in the last 24 hours. And on that note, uh, I think what I'll do is I'll I'll actually play you out with a portion of uh, Donald Trump Jr.'s speech from CPAC this afternoon, uh, remarking on some of this specifically. In the first 30 days and I'll see you again of Joe Biden's presidency, all of the things that I said would come true in the book Liberal Privilege that I wrote last summer are happening. We listened to months of media telling us that Joe Biden, he's a moderate, don't worry. He's not going to end energy. He's not going to end pipelines, which is partially correct. He's not going to end Russian pipelines. He's only going to end American pipelines. The Russian ones are just fine. They're going to cave to China. No, that was never going to happen. Of course it happened. You think that billion dollar investment in Hunter came for free? No, the Chinese, the Chinese have a great return on investment. But guys, more importantly, Who would have thought that within 33 days, we'd be bombing the Middle East again? I would have. Oh no, guys, come on, the military-industrial complex. I'm surprised it took them 33 days. I guess they waited till the first month, so they couldn't say that was part of the first 30, but it was only shortly thereafter where we started bombing the Middle East. Speaking of bombing the Middle East, Have you seen Liz Cheney's poll numbers? Now, listen, the one thing I'll say for Liz Cheney is I'm sure she has a lot of bipartisan support because if there's one thing that she and Joe Biden definitely want to do, it's bomb the Middle East. Everything else is a disaster. Everything else is just rhino policies, the kinds of policies that put the Republican Party in a position where they needed a Donald Trump. Well, that was Donald Trump Jr. at CPAC on Friday evening. Ladies and gentlemen, I intended to play you out to that. If you've, if you've stuck around throughout that whole ending and you've got to this point in the podcast, I have some very interesting information for you because 
in that period of time, like I say, I don't do any post-production here, and I'm actually not going to post-produce that swear word out that Ben Harris-Quilly dropped in there, mostly because I'm lazy. But in that period of time, what was it, two minutes, that ending? It is. It's a two-minute-long clip. Ben gets off the phone with me, or off Skype, texts me an article which just dropped during our interview. And it's an article in the Daily Mail, on the Daily Mail website, the biggest paper in the world, the certainly the biggest paper in the United Kingdom. And the headline is, I mean, this is extraordinary. You want to talk about how we are bringing you the news in advance of the major, major corporate news networks? Check this out. This is the headline on the Daily Mail. And I'm going to include this link in the podcast description as well, so you can all read it for yourselves. Daily Mail. Boris Johnson's fiance Carrie Simmons, tried to damage the careers of top women civil servants, urged the Prime Minister to sack an official after a row over number 10 decor, and Boris wanted Tory donors to pay for that costly makeover. The bullet points? Carrie Simmons tried to sack a Whitehall official who refused to sign off on a bill for for her preferred Downing Street refurbishment. She made a crude remark about another uh, Mandarin, we call them, that's bureaucrats, tip to become the first female head of the civil service i mean you know you want to talk about uh, uh, not a good story not a good day to be carrie simmons certainly not a good day to be boris johnson that is it ladies and gentlemen so why don't we i'll tell you what i love that music so much why don't we do another outro with the music to signal the real end of the show today and again if you want to support our work believe me while i'm suppressed by social media like Twitter and Facebook have right now. I can't access the 350-odd thousand people that are following me on Twitter. I cannot access, easily at least, the 500,000, half a million people that follow our accounts across Facebook. They've stopped me from putting our articles out there. So I need you to help me, please. Go to thenationalpulse.com. Pick a story that you think is important, that grabs your attention. Pick all of them. (laughs) And send them into every group. Send them over email to people. Tweet them at people if you still have a Twitter. Put them on your Gab, on your Parler, on your Locals accounts, on your Telegram accounts. Please help us spread real news. Real news. And if you want to support our work, you can head over to thenationalpulse.com forward slash support. I'll see you Monday. Actually, you know what? I might see you tomorrow. I might be tempted to do another special on Carrie Simmons, given this latest tranche of information. Maybe I'll see you tomorrow.